What's up, guys? Welcome to the Engage JSU podcast. We are an on-campus ministry here at Jacksonville State University. We want to see God's kingdom come here at JSU as it is in heaven. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be looking at the entirety of Ephesians chapter 1 tonight which, by the way, contains one of the longest sentences in the entire Bible. So buckle up. While you're turning there, uh, thinking about this message and thinking about this series, God's Plan, reminded me that one of the greatest things that has come about due to the combination of smartphones and the internet is Google Maps. Uh, Now, I'm old enough to remember uh, that when you used to have to get directions, you used to have to print them off of the computer and then have a piece of paper with written directions that you had to read. Uh, but uh, But ever since the iPhone came out, right, you can use the phone to tell you where you need to go. Um, But something happens whenever there's a road blockage or whenever there's an accident or whenever something else causes a road to be shut down, uh, Google Maps is a little bit useless sometimes. Uh, Sometimes if you are driving down the road and you're trying to go somewhere and the road's blocked, Google Maps will keep trying to redirect you on that path. When Bailey and I lived in Louisville, Uh, Every year there was an Ironman race. And this Ironman was so extensive, it closed down many, many streets of downtown Louisville. And of course, our church was in downtown Louisville. And so every year, Sunday morning would come and we would be trying to just get to church on time, just make it. And there would be so many roads closed with one-way streets being in downtown. It, it was a nightmare to try to get to church. Our normal routine, our normal Sunday morning plans were frustrated. But of course, where human plans can be and so often are frustrated, it's not so with God's plans. And that's what I want us to see in the book of Ephesians tonight. The book of Ephesians is all about the unshakable plan of God for the church, for the world, and for your salvation. And tonight in Ephesians 1 specifically, we want to see God's plan for the praise of his glorious grace. You'll see that phrase repeated over and over. And so... As we look at Ephesians 1, if you're the, a note taker type, here's the main idea that I want you to walk away with. Chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians. Since God has supremely blessed us in Christ, we must live for the praise of his glorious grace. Since God has supremely blessed us in Christ, we must live for the praise of his glorious grace. So before we get started, let's go to the Lord. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you so much for giving us your word. Father, please help me to preach your word and get out of the way. Father, would your word go forth in mighty power? Father, we pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, let's begin in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth. And so the two ideas that I want us to see as we think about how to live for the praise of God's glorious grace there's really two ways from chapter 1 I want us to see. We live for the praise of his glorious grace number 1 in awe of the plan of God. And number two, in aspiration to the prayer of Paul. So let's look at this idea of how we live for the praise of God's glorious grace in awe of his plan. Chapter one, verse three really encapsulates a lot of what happens in chapter one. If you think about it as a thesis statement, that would be right. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so right off the bat, we see Paul is writing that God is to be blessed. But what exactly, what is that, exactly does that mean? Uh, what Paul is speaking of here is that God deserves praise and he deserves to have worth ascribed to him. He's declaring the praiseworthiness of God. This great God deserves praise for what he has done. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And what are these spiritual blessings? Well, in verse four, we see holiness and blamelessness. In verse five, we see adoption as sons and daughters. Verse 7, we see redemption, forgiveness, grace. Verses 11 and 14, we see an inheritance. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, blessed us in Christ with all of these spiritual blessings. But if we keep going, we see something extraordinary. Paul says that God the Father blessed us with spiritual blessings in Christ, even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world. Did you see that? Before the foundation of the world. We, we don't often get insight 
into what God was doing before the foundation of the world. But, but here we get to see at least one thing. Before the foundation of the world, in eternity past, we were chosen in Christ. But you would get confused if you thought that Paul was writing to the Ephesian church just merely so that they would just have this knowledge, so that they would just know something cool about God. That, that's not what Paul is doing here. It's actually an important concept that he wants to use to impact how Christians understand their salvation. We know this because Paul repeats this idea two more times in the same chapter, and he connects it to other important ideas. The end of verse 4, beginning of verse 5, Paul says, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Verse 9, a similar idea, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Again, in verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So Paul makes clear, at least he wants to make clear in Ephesians chapter 1, that these spiritual blessings we receive in Christ, adoption, redemption, forgiveness, grace, all of this is according to God's will, God's plan for redemption settled before the foundation of the world. And not just God's plan for redemption in general, but God's specific plan for believers in Christ. And why did he do this? We see it in verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. So, so that God would be praised for his grace, he set forth a plan in Christ to redeem you, Christian, before the foundation of the world. And so if you're like me, you hear this word, predestination. You almost want to whisper it. It's almost like the boogeyman, right? And immediately you might be filled with tons of questions, maybe fears, maybe doubts swirling around in your mind. What, what does that mean? How do I understand this? What, what implications does it have for so many things that I hold dear? And I, I don't think it's wrong to ask those questions. I think the Bible has answers for all of those questions. But I think as a faithful preacher, I always want to keep the train of my sermon on the tracks of the text. And what Paul is emphasizing here is not really how predestination works. Different theologians have different understandings of how predestination works. But rather what Paul is doing here is he's emphasizing the glorious grace and the supreme wisdom of God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's emphasizing the rock-solid hope of salvation for all believers in Christ. Let's keep going in verse 7. What else does Paul say? In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ 
as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him also, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So blessed be God because the end goal of his plan for the fullness of time is that he be praised for his glorious grace. And that phrase, it's an interesting one, isn't it? It's repeated several times. Verse six and verse 12 and verse 14, to the praise of his glorious grace, to the praise of his glory. And I was, as I was reading and studying for this sermon, I noticed that commentators all kind of point to the idea that each one of these refrains comes after a person of the Trinity, is, their work is explained. So in verses three through six, you have God the Father highlighted his plan of redemption. Verses seven through 11, you have the riches of Christ explained. In verse 9, uh, but rather verse 13 and 14, we see the Holy Spirit's role in salvation. And each one of these sections ends with the praise to his glorious grace. And I think what Paul is showing us here is the beauty of our triune God. The beauty of this marvelous salvation that we have. The beauty of the fact that God the Father plans it. He sends the Son, and the Son purchases it. And the Spirit seals it. And the goal of it all is to the praise of his glorious grace. Reading this text kind of reminds me of how much I love sunsets. To me, sunsets are one of the most beautiful aspects of nature. When Instagram first came out, my entire feed was just terrible sunset pictures, terrible iPhone quality sunset pictures. <laughs> I did this so much that my friends all started to make fun of me. Um, even when I see a sunset now, my wife kind of looks at me like, you gonna gram it? And I'm like, no, it's not, it's not gonna happen. And it's kind of similar to when you walk outside and you see a big, beautiful, full moon just peeking out behind big, beautiful clouds. You go to take a picture of it, and when you look at it on your phone, it just look, the moon just looks like a little speck on your phone. It looks terrible. And uh, the reason that this happens is because your phone is not high quality enough, right, to grasp the beauty and the bigness of things like moons and sunsets. But if you had a high quality camera, you can get beautiful pictures of this natural phenomenon. And it's similar to what Paul's doing for us here in chapter one in Ephesians. He's capturing for us the beauty and the bigness of God and God's plan for us. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's showing us what we could never see with our natural 
eye. He's writing so that we would simply stand in awe of the plan of God and praise his name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we don't always think of praise this way, do we? Because we see from the text that the praise of God's glorious grace is the reason that all these things are done. We're loved, chosen, adopted, made holy and blameless in Christ. And we see Paul recounting and reflecting on the glorious grace of God. And I think one of the applications to a text like this is to really follow in Paul's footsteps. As he recounts the grace of God, it's right for us from time to time to just reflect on and recount the grace of God. Sometimes we can come to a text like this, it's packed with theology and we can either just skip over it or we can get into the technical details and we can miss that this is for the reflection of the praise of God. That we would sit and meditate on a verse like this. Wow, before the foundation of the world. God had a plan for me. When's the last time you simply meditated on a glorious truth from Scripture? When's the last time you simply meditated on the glorious grace that God saved you with? For the Christian, meditation is never simply emptying your mind. In fact, that's the greatest distinction between Christian meditation and other forms of meditation. Meditation for the Christian always is the mind being filled with thoughts of God. It's why we sing songs. It's, it's why we share the gospel. It's why we preach the gospel to each other. These are ways of praising the glorious grace of God. In Christ, we are lavished with grace. We are made holy and blameless. Let's think on these things. Let's think about God. Not only does God want us to stand in awe of his awesome plan, but I also want us to see that we live for the praise of his glorious grace in aspiration to the prayer of Paul. Now, what do I mean by that? We're aspiring to a prayer? Let's look at what Paul says in verses 15 through 20. He continues, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So because of the spiritual blessings 
that Paul talks about. He has these specific things that he prays for the church in Ephesus and really can be applied to us. What does he pray for? He prays that they would be blessed with the knowledge of God in three things. Hope, riches, and power. First, he wants you to have a knowledge of the hope that God has called you to. What, what is this hope? What hope have we been called to? Verse 12 defines the first Christians as the first to hope in Christ. Titus 2.13 puts it this way. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this hope is hope in Christ. It's who he is, everything that he's done and will do. Those of us who are Christians are Christians because we hope in Christ. But understanding that, isn't it kind of strange that Paul writes this letter to Christians praying that they would hope in Christ? Praying that they would have a knowledge of the hope that, what, that God had called them to? But he doesn't want them to understand hope in Christ for the first time. He wants them to know it, not in the sense of memorization, but he wants them to know it deep down. He wants them to be reminded of it so that they're encouraged by it, to think on it deeply, encouraged by the hope of eternal life, encouraged by the fact that we'll see Christ face to face. To be encouraged to know that our hope won't be put to shame. To be encouraged in the hope of our salvation. And what else does, does Paul say? He also prays that we would have the knowledge of hope, but also of riches. Did you see that? That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And so when you first read that, you might be tempted to think that Paul's talking about these riches that we are going to inherit in eternal life, right? When, when you hear inheritance, sometimes you automatically think that. But what we need to understand about this text is that Paul here says that he wants you to know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, so Paul's not talking about our inheritance here. Paul's talking about God's inheritance. But what is God's inheritance? What could God, who owns everything, inherit? Well, Paul says his inheritance in the saints. Acts 20, verse 28 puts it this way. Pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Revelation 5.9 puts it this way. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
We see from the Bible that Jesus died to purchase a people. Isn't that beautiful? By his blood, he ransomed a people for God. So not only do we see that we will inherit riches to come in heaven, but that God inherits us. We are a glorious and rich inheritance. We who believe in Christ are an inheritance for God. Not just an inheritance, but a rich and glorious one. Paul wants you to know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in you, believer. We are a treasure to God. And it's not just on our merits, or in fact, it's not on our merits at all that we are a treasure to God, but we're a treasure to God because we were purchased, we were washed clean, we were made holy and blameless by his son. And not only do we see the hope that we're called to, the riches that we are to God and Christ, we also see the power. The last thing Paul prays is that we would know God's power. Not just any power, but the immeasurable greatness of his power. Paul says that the power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that works in you. Immeasurably great. Paul prays for the church in Ephesus to remember that their hope is in Christ. He, he prays for them to remember how precious they are to God. And he prays for them to remember God's immeasurable power directed towards their salvation. He says this because their salvation was planned, purchased, and sealed with resurrection power. When I think of this idea of the revelation of knowledge, knowledge sharing, it reminds me of a time where I was a little too quick. I shared a little bit too much knowledge. And although different card games have different rules, every card game assumes that you're not gonna show your cards to other people. I remember one time I was playing cards, uh, Bailey and I were playing cards, I think it was with friends or with family, and uh, I was losing really bad. And uh, eventually I just said something like, you know, guys, I don't know what's going on with me, like, I'm just terrible tonight. And uh, Bailey looks over at me and she says, it would help if you didn't show everyone your cards. <laughs> Talk about an unraveled mystery, right? But the cards that I was showing everybody was giving them a clue as to what they should be doing. My cards were telling them how they should function. And in a similar way, Paul wants us to know the knowledge of what God is doing in the world. 
and what he's doing in our salvation so that we would act a certain way, so that we would be encouraged. And so it's, it's important that we as Christians, that you as a Christian, remember the hope that God has called you to. Remember and be strengthened by the knowledge that one day you will be with your great Savior. Continue in this hope. You have a real future with God. It's focusing on this hope that will allow you to persevere through the suffering of this life. It's focusing on this hope that will allow you to keep trusting God in the midst of trials and persecution. Because the whole idea of hope is that you're holding on to something in a bad situation because you know your future situation will be better. And Christian, your future is a future without pain, without sorrow, without fear, without evil. It's a future full of joy forever with God. And it's because of this great salvation that you have been saved with, planned by the Father, purchased by the Son, sealed by the Holy Spirit. But don't just remember the hope. R remember that you're precious to God. You are a glorious wealth of an inheritance to him. Glorious riches is how you're described. You're precious to God. When you hope in that, when you remember this great salvation, when you remember how precious you are to God, you're able to endure. Not only do we think of that, not only do we think of our future with God, and not only do we remember how precious we are, but we remember God's power. You've been saved with the same power that raised Christ from the dead. You're precious to God, and God is all-powerful. He has sealed your future with the Holy Spirit. He's got you. He's holding on tight. He won't let you go. Christian, remember that and be encouraged. Paul's laying out the structure, the foundation of everything else that's to come in Ephesians. He wants you to marvel at the wondrous plan of God, at the wisdom and power and majesty of God. He, he wants you to be encouraged in the hope that is to come and how precious he's made you in the power of his might. So think on these things, remember these things, walk in these things. If you're a Christian tonight, you have hope. You are part of God's marvelous plan for the universe. 
Maybe this whole time you've been sitting there thinking to yourself, well, none of this applies to me. I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in Christ. In chapter 2, Paul describes those without Christ as having no hope and without God in the world. That's actually how he describes believers before they come to Christ. And maybe that's how you would describe yourself without hope, without God in the world. If that's you, and you're listening to this sermon, don't don't be tempted to try to philosophize your way out of coming to Christ. Don't try to say, well, I must not be predestined, or I must not be chosen, or I must not be adopted. Don't concern yourself with the mysteries of God's providence, but rather throw yourself to the mercy of God in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. While there's still breath in your lungs, you stand a chance to come to Christ, to repent, to trust, and be forgiven. You you stand a chance to be as those, as we'll see next week, described in chapter two as having no hope, being without God in the world, but being brought near to God in Christ. You stand a chance of having a hope to look forward to, knowing this God meditating on his grace to you. I pray that you would come to him. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for the wonderful truths that you've shown us in your word. Thank you for the ways that you have displayed your wonderful, majestic wisdom and power to us in the gospel. Father, I pray as we continue through the book of Ephesians, you will help us to be caught up in your love. That it would cause us to live as daughters and sons of the King. Father, I pray that tonight anybody who does not know you, who has not trusted in Christ, that they would trust in Christ for the first time. It's in his name that we pray all these things. Amen.